Good morning, Elizabeth Chapel Church family. Good to see you again this morning. Glad you can be with us and join in. And we're just excited about what the Lord is doing. Well, the week has really gone fast, hasn't it? It's hard to believe that today is day four. We've looked at Mary anointing the feet of Jesus, Judas betraying Christ. We saw yesterday Simon Peter and his denials of Jesus and how God uh, really uh, did a supernatural work in his life. What a great preacher he was on the day of Pentecost. But that brings us to a, to a very powerful passage of Scripture. Uh, Luke chapter 23. I want you to get your Bible. I want you to open it. I'm going to look at several things in the Scripture with us this morning. We're just going to plow right through uh, this passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at. We're actually looking at the crucifixion now through the angry mob that insisted on Jesus being crucified. It's a very, uh, very uh, powerful passage of Scripture. One of the things that makes it, to me, so interesting is for many hundreds of years, the prophets in the Old Testament had prepared this people for the Messiah who was going to come. Christ who was going to come. Even the angel at the time of the birth of Jesus said, uh, this child that is born in the city of David, he will be the savior of the world. But still, this angry mob missed it and they wanted him crucified. Well, I want to begin in Luke 23, beginning in verse number 13. We're going to read a lengthy passage. Now you follow with me as we read. Then Pilate, when he called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, he said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misled the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning the things which you accuse him of. No, neither did Herod. For I sent him back to him, and indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. Now down in verse number 17. For it was necessary for him to release one at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a common criminal, a murderer. And here is the crowd wanting Barabbas released and Jesus kept there to be crucified. Verse 19, uh, or verse, verse 20. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to him, and they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, Why and what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I therefore chasten him and will let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men, of, whom the, of, of, the, of their chief priest, prevailed. So Pilate, gave sentence that it should be as they requested. 
and he released to them the one they requested for rebellion and murder, but had thrown into prison, but delivered Jesus to their will. What an angry mob this was, crying out, crucify, crucify him. I can just see that scene, can't you? You notice some of the mob scenes sometimes that we see in our land, in the world today. And and a mob can get at a fever pitch and it just grows and others join in. And all of a sudden the protest gets out of hand and the mob just loses their mind, so to speak. That's what was going on here. The people were vehement. Crucify him. Crucify him. Put him to death. This is the angry mob we're looking at. I want to turn to another passage for a moment, one that I I just really remind myself often of. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 10. John chapter 1 verse 10 says that Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. I find that an amazing verse of Scripture. That Jesus who created the whole universe, created the earth, created our planet, created the world, stepped into our world and began to walk among men. And John says the world did not even know him. They did not even recognize him. That's this angry mob. Verse 11 says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. They rejected him. But it says in verse 12, But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. That's you and me, isn't it? We have placed our faith in Christ. The Hebrew people, the Jews, those whose prophets had said Jesus is going to come, all of the prophecy that he fulfilled in his coming hundreds of prophecies they knew the bible but yet they did not receive him they rejected him they were an angry mob and they put him to death you know when i begin to think in these terms that we're talking about this morning i i ask myself this question and i want to ask you this question also this morning by any chance do you see yourself In this angry mob that crucified Jesus Christ. If you had been there, if I had been there, would we have joined in with that mob? I think we would. I I think the Bible makes it very, very clear that when we were lost without Jesus Christ, we were actually enemies of the cross. Enemies of the cross. That's what the Bible says in the book of Philippians. Chapter number 3, verse 18. Enemies of Christ, of the cross. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 tells us these words. There are none righteous, no, not one. Each one is turned to his own way, and each one has looked to himself. Absolutely none righteous, no, not one. Another verse of Scripture that I find very powerful in the Word of God is what Paul says about the gospel. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in verse 3, Paul says the gospel message is this. 
that it is our sins who place Jesus on the cross. He bore our sins when he died upon the cross. So you see, in that sense, we are really a part of this angry mob because it's our sins that that put Jesus to death. Isaiah 53 and verse 6, Jesus was being prophesied by the prophet. And the prophet Isaiah says this, God laid upon him, laid upon Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's why during the crucifixion of Christ, he cried out to the Father and he says, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, here's why. Our iniquity was placed upon Jesus. Our sin was placed upon Jesus when he died upon the cross and he paid for our sin. I want to ask you to turn to another verse of scripture with me for just a moment. I don't, I don't want to fly through this and be very, very flippant about our sin, crucifying Jesus and saying that, that we were a part of this angry mob. Uh, I really, I'm really serious when I say to you that we need to consider the fact that we are participants, in a sense, with this angry mob insisting upon the crucifixion of Jesus. You see, it's very easy for you and I living in our culture today to be very pious and look down at our noses at that angry mob and say, how could they have done such a thing? How could they be so vile, so vicious? Jesus was so loving and so kind to them and he walked among them. My friend, listen to me. Our heart, before it was converted by Jesus... Our heart before the sin had been forgiven. The blackness of our heart without Jesus was in every way exactly the same heart of those that insisted on the crucifixion of Jesus. Don't kid yourself to think you're any different. Now that we're saved, certainly we're different. We've been changed. But when we were unrepentant and unforgiving, uncleansed by the blood of Jesus, unchanged, we were just like that angry mob. We see ourselves in them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21, listen closely to, to what the Bible says. Paul was speaking. And here's what he says in verse 21. For he, meaning God, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Now here's how the uh, New American Standard translates that. The New American Standard says that Jesus, on behalf of us, paid for our sin. Don't ever think Jesus was a sinner. He wasn't. Jesus never did sin. And so it's not like Jesus became a sinner all of a sudden. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. Here's what the Bible says. It says that God took my sin, took your sin, took all of the sin of the world. God took our sin 
And he placed the guilt of our sin upon Jesus when he was on the cross. And on behalf of you and I, Jesus paid for our sin. But then notice what else Paul says. Jesus paid for our sin that we might become righteous before God because of what Jesus did for us. So you see, apart from the righteousness of Jesus bestowed upon me, apart from His righteousness in my life, I have none. My righteousness is as filthy rags. I am yelling with that crowd, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him, before I receive the righteousness of God in my life. And I didn't earn that. Jesus paid for my sin. On behalf of Joel Wood, on behalf of you, He paid for your sin that God could see us now in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's who I am in Christ. There's one other scripture. In fact, uh, Simon Peter that we talked about yesterday wrote about this. And he wrote about this in, uh, in his uh, second epistle, no first epistle. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, hang on just a minute. Yeah, First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 24. I mentioned to you yesterday that Simon Peter finally realized that he got all of this when he was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Listen to what Peter said when he wrote his epistle. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Speaking of Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's exactly what happened. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might become the righteousness of Christ for His stripes and by His stripes we're healed. You know, some folks like to talk about the healing being a physical healing. Well, Jesus does heal physically, doesn't He? We know that. But when it talks about in Isaiah 53 that the stripes of Jesus is our healing, He's talking about the healing of our sin. Now today, no longer do I cry, crucify Him, crucify Him. Now I cry out and exalt and lift up Jesus and honor God. Every morning when I pray, I come into the presence of God, honoring Him and praising Him for the work that Jesus did upon the cross. God has changed our life. Would you just join with me this morning as we close in prayer? And I want to just lead us in this prayer this morning. And I want us to just take a moment and let's just thank the Father for providing the atonement for our sin, providing the sacrifice for our sin through His Son and His blood, Jesus. Would you bow as we pray? Father, we do thank You this morning for sending Jesus into this world. And even though the world did not know Him, and even though he came unto his own people and they rejected him and they cried out, crucify him. We know later many of those people were saved in the book of Acts as we begin to read it. After
And they begin to see that Jesus was their Messiah. He was the Christ. And Lord, we join with multitudes around the world today saying, Father, thank you for sending Jesus, providing a sacrifice for our sin, atoning for our sin, and bringing us into a right eternal relationship with you forever and ever. Thank you, Father, for that. And we trust you and trust in Christ alone for our salvation. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us. I'll be with you again tomorrow. Our last day before Easter Sunday. And what a, what a wonderful day it's going to be as we worship the Lord Jesus Christ together tomorrow. We're going to be talking about Joseph and Nicodemus as they remove the body from the cross and place his body in the tomb. Thank you. See you tomorrow at 10 o'clock.